This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Jimmy Dore Show, The David Pakman Show, Real Time with Bill Maher, The Onion Radio News, The Green News Report, The Young Turks, and Johan Hari. And a note of clarification, this episode mocks crazy religious people. So if you're religious but not crazy, you are not being mocked, perhaps just disagreed with. Well, this evening marks the beginning of Passover with Easter on Sunday. Millions of people will celebrate these holidays with a deep-rooted faith that any of those things really happened. And some of us, whether Jew or Christian, or for that matter, Hindu or Muslim, might take a moment to ask ourselves whether we are all really all that different from each other. To which people of all religions would no doubt reply, yes, we are much better than everyone else. They are strange-looking and not that clean. But most of us don't say it out loud, because you have to do business with those people. (laughs) And in this country, generally speaking, we tolerate each other. We don't want any trouble. We just want to go to work in the morning and come home in the evening. Or in my case, stay home all day and occasionally look for a job. (laughs) So this weekend, let's think about the importance of tolerance and save our hostility for something really important, like if the Supreme Court overturns Obamacare. That'll be the time to form angry mobs and take to the streets, and not a moment before. When we got to my mom's, she secretly showed us where she'd stashed the Easter basket stuff. It was about to burst. Yeah, she's a Jew, but a grandmother first. Yeah, yeah. Your grandparents in California still find a few of last year's eggs hidden about. Since Easter overlaps with Passover this time Looks like the Jews lucked out If there is any doubt in your mind remaining that homophobic bigotry is the official institutional policy of the Roman Catholic Church that has now been eliminated, U.S. bishops' persecution of LGBT people has been blessed by Pope Benedict the, uh, what, what number is he, the 16th, Benedict the 16th. He went on, uh, according to National Public Radio and the Washington Post, Pope Benedict the 16th dove smack dab into the middle of the battle over marriage equality today in an address delivered at the Vatican to a delegation of visiting bishops from the U.S. And he forcefully denounced the, quote, powerful push to grant same-sex couples the freedom to marry in the U.S. He's 84 years old. He acknowledged his comments might sound anachronistic or countercultural, particularly to young people, but he told bishops not to back down in the face of powerful political and cultural currents seeking to alter the legal definition of uh, marriage. He said a weakened appreciation for traditional marriage has led to grave social problems bearing an immense human and economic cost. Of course, he didn't say what the cost was because it's an outright lie, and there is no cost. Right. So, you know, I I know most people who consider themselves part of the world, what is it, about a billion Catholics? Is that what it is, roughly? Uh, I'm not sure. Sounds about right. I think it is, yeah. Uh, Most of those people aren't as anti-gay as the Pope, right? Uh, Some of them are, but most of them aren't. And and really, a lot of Catholics actually have a respect for, for equality amongst all people. So this really is a time where I'm having trouble imagining why, why is the Catholic Church still uh, as big as it is? I, I mean, do people just pick and choose and say, well, I don't believe that, but I'm going to ignore it. And 
be going beyond that, there are people who are being convinced by the Catholic Church's position on, on LGBT equality, and the Church is creating anti-gay sentiment, anti-LGBT sentiment, and it's, it's incredibly dangerous. Right. I mean, to be blunt, as soon as all these old fools die and the people who grew up in, uh, in more modern... Logical times. Logical times uh, start taking over you're going to see changes and things are going to go more the way of, of logic and, and reason and is that what you uh, think and, it's and equality we just need to yeah, wait absolutely i mean like you said this guy's how old 84 84 years old i mean considering the the type of atmosphere he grew up in you really expect him to be open-minded about anything like this i guess not i mean you know there are there are still rumors that pope Be pope benedict is gay you know that i mean i've talked to a number of people who are involved in the catholic church they don't personally know him but they do know a number of different people and they well, say we're, listen we're, we're aware of uh his assistant of, of, is gay of homosexuality and and uh other things in uh in the church i mean they're, they're pretty what i use the term rampant it's, it's rampant in the i church. would use it i know someone who would say that it's rampant yeah in the church yeah we're thinking of the same person uh so there it is but i i think with, with time thing things will change yeah well let's 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 hope you're right The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. As someone who's so anti-knowledge, <laughs> Rick Santorum must learn what the word Catholic means. It means universal. It means interested in everything. Columbus crossed an ocean to bring Christianity to the New World, and it's been all downhill for Italian cruise ship captains ever since. <laughs> the uh, Taliban may want to live in the 8th century, but the Christian right wants to go back even further to Adam and Eve, who screwed it up for everybody when they ate an apple from the tree of knowledge. <laughs> as soon as they did that, those two were like, wow, we're naked and alone, let's fuck. <laughs> Which I call a happy ending. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I bring up the old tale of the poisoned apple. <laughs> no, not Snow White, that's a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> because the Adam and Eve story is taken literally by half the country, and it's no coincidence that the type of tree which God forbade Adam and Eve eating from was the tree of knowledge. Rick Santorum homeschools his children because he does not want them eating that fucking apple. <laughs> he wants them locked up in the Christian madrasa that is the family living room, not out in public where they could be infected by the virus of reason. 
If you're a kid and the only adult you've ever met are mom and dad, and well, then they're also the smartest adults you've ever met. Why not keep it that way? Why mess up paradise with a lot of knowledge? After all, a mind is a terrible thing to open. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this is also why Rick Santorum doesn't care much for college. It leads to indoctrination, he says. And I agree. It indoctrinates you into the world of ideas. Now, some of those ideas are mundane, like how you can get drunk by pouring vodka into your eyeball. <laughs> but, but college is also where young minds are exposed to information that challenges the fairy tales of childhood. Oh, it's a, it's a despicable process where they first open a young mind and then they start introducing facts. I mean, it's one thing when they came for our Bibles, but then they came for our guns, but please don't come for our bullshit. <laughs> What people like Rick Santorum are afraid of is that their child will take a class in evolutionary biology and think, whoa, turns out what dad told me is a crock. <laughs> Jesus didn't ride a dinosaur. <laughs> to the religious right, the scariest three words are not, look out, pit bull, or the ship sinking, or Bill Maher's on. <laughs> or low-carb diet. The scariest... <laughs> the scariest three words to them are, here's an idea. It's the Onion Radio News. A procrastinating Catholic is 20 rosaries behind. This is Doyle Redland reporting. After three trips to the confessional in recent months, Boston native Paul McMullen has accumulated a backlog of 20 recitations of the rosary. The 32-year-old McMullen, whose immortal soul will remain in danger until the appropriate recitations are made, explained his predicament. Father O'Reardon gave me three rosaries last time, and five the time before, and, and I still had 12 left over from last time. I tried doing the Hail Marys and the Our Fathers on my way to work, but I, I kept losing my place during the Sorrowful Mysteries. McMullen plans to stop going to confession altogether for the next few months so he can catch up. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News online. I know this may sound funny, but the Vatican has launched a probe, and that's, those are certainly scary words to many, uh, the Vatican doing any probing at all. Right. The particular type of probe is a criminal probe into, I know this is going to be a letdown for many, 
into leaks, the leaking of confidential documents that alleged corruption and financial mismanagement and exposed uh, power struggles within the Catholic Church. What about the molestation? That's really what they should be probing. Or what about the, the alleged corruption that has been leaked? Of course, that's also not the issue. You know, the they, issue is, they just want to find out how this information get, got out to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right, let's not take care of the problem that was leaked. Let's go after the people who showed that there is a problem. Is there any difference between politicians and the Catholic Church? If no. there is, I can't see it. No, not at all. And let's, by the way, ignore and cover up. Well, I mean, except for the fact that, um, you know, many members of the church uh, are interested in little boys, whereas many politicians are interested in prostitutes. That would be basically the only difference. Uh, okay. Um, well, there's an idea from Lewis. Yeah. yeah I mean, I don't, I, might, I, I don't know that I agree with you completely. I think there might be more crossover than you think. Uh, perhaps. I think there is a history of, um, of, of <laughs> indulging in prostitution within the Catholic Church, and there is also a, a history of... Uh, being interested in people at least legally too young for you to be with, as we've seen in, in the House of Representatives, too. That's true. That is true. So, again, not any focus on what was leaked, a focus on who did the leaking, and almost no focus at all on, um, on, on exploring the molestation and abuse, but certainly a lot of interest in covering that up. Right. Much like, uh, much like WikiLeaks, um, you know, paint, uh, paint Assange as uh, a villain, focus the entire story on him and uh, never talk about what actually was released. Well, it's interesting because some are referring to this as uh, Vati leaks, the Vatican leaks, uh, referencing WikiLeaks, and Pope Benedict XVI himself has set up a so-called special commission to shed light on the so-called Vati leaks scandal because he was so distressed by the disloyalty shown by those who leak the memos. Uh, Monsignor Angelo Becciu and uh, also, uh, 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 according to uh, Monsignor Angelo Baccio, told the uh, Vatican newspaper. So he's really, really distressed by the fact that someone might reveal the horrible things going on within the Catholic Church. He's not at all distressed by what is going on within the actual Catholic Church. Right, right. Uh, no surprise, really. Should, Natan, should the, the Catholic Church lose nonprofit status? Um, non-profit status worldwide, is that what you're talking sure, about? Sure, yeah, or at least within the U.S. Because of this? No, just in general, because of everything. Right. I, I don't know if I can make that claim. I'd have to look more, more deeply into it. But I, I'm going to make that claim. Uh, I mean, then you, basically what you're saying is they don't qualify as a religion. I'm not saying they don't qualify as a religion. Just because of all this, of, of all this uh, Michigas, they should be, they should not have tax free Forget the Michigas. If you are advocating for uh, policy, I believe that that is political activity. And the Catholic, Catholic Church has been very clear about advocating on issues related to birth control and abortion. And that is connected with political policy. It goes beyond simply religion. And this applies to, to so many churches above and beyond the Catholic Church. This is just one of the bigger ones. That absolutely, we need to review this non nonprofit tax exempt status for for, for uh, religions. No question about it. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you. Lewis, what would you say is the number one reason people should tune into the David Pakman show if they like Jay Tomlinson's Best of the Left podcast? I mean, I see it completely differently from, from someone who's just watching it. Yeah, well, but if I was asking someone else's opinion for the promo... I don't even watch our show, so how can I answer that question? I do not watch our show. So Lewis is, isn't even a fan of the show. <laughs>
Maybe the answer is Lewis doesn't actually like. Can you this be show. a fan of the show? I mean, are you? Can, isn't that kind of stupid to be a fan of your own show? I'm a huge fan of this show. <laughs> of course, that's like being a fan of yourself. You're like a narcissist. What do you put pictures up of yourself at home too? Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Time for another installment of Oh My God. Okay, well, if you know me, you know I like to get high and watch Christian television. (laughs) And one of my favorite things to do is watch the faith healers. And my favorite faith healer is Benny Hinn. And the reason why is because he has a a bald spot that he combs over wickedly. And I always thought, you know, if you can cure my spine, you can straighten out my scoliosis, you can certainly fix your bald spot. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, so anyway, so uh, faith healing, it, it must work. Uh, and so Pat Robertson got a letter from someone recently. You know Pat Robertson, right? Sure. He's uh, the guy who's really down to earth, doesn't make grandiose statements. And uh, <laughs> here he is. Uh, somebody wrote in to ask him about faith healing. This is Razvan who said, recently I prayed with you for pain in my knees and praise God, my knees were healed. However, I woke up the next day and the pain had returned. <laughs> it's like the healing was nothing more than a wonderful dream. What happened to my healing and how do I get it back? Well, people can give it up. I mean, you know, you don't believe that it's real and you say, well, it's a wonderful dream, but you didn't receive it. You've got to receive it, stand on it, take it and praise God for it. This is mine. And you can ask it back. I mean, this may be satanic and the things come back on you. They come back and you need to rebuke it and command it to leave you permanently. See, God gets pissed off when he heals someone and they're not sufficiently grateful. Mm-hmm. He hates and that. He hates it, and then he'll take take, take back his healing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know, this might sound crazy, but maybe her knees hurt because she's praying too much. <laughs> Get <laughs> up, honey. It's yeah. weird, you know, the less I started, I, I was praying, the less my knees hurt. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of an inverse relationship between mm-hmm. prayer and knees hurting. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Yeah, get off your knees. Well, also, if her knees hurt, maybe God doesn't want her praying. Oh. God doesn't like her hearing her prayer. God doesn't like hearing her pra- prayers. And what? and he smote, he smited her or smote her or whoever you say that. <laughs> smited? Smited her. <laughs> she done got smited. She, she done and- got smited with, by God, who's like, um, you know, quit bugging me with your prayers. I'm busy. I'm with you on that. I mean, the the chances, Mm -hmm. Frank, that that Satan Mm -hmm. is what's causing this woman's knees to hurt. Mm -hmm. He's too busy telling Obama how to destroy America. Right. I mean, (laughs) that's that's, so true. That is really what's happening. I know that Satan is the is the one who caused my gout, or as, or as I like to call Satan, a chopped liver. <laughs> that's what really causes my gout. But it comes in the, Satan comes in the form of, uh, of foods like that. You know, I, I, I found out that, uh, in another clip I don't have, but uh, Pat lets you know that the pain also comes back if you don't send in a donation. <laughs> that, that happens. It's going to hurt. Sure. You've, got to, you've got to receive it. Mm-hmm. You've got to stand on it. Uh, you've got to take it and pray, praise God for it. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work, try Advil. That's what I say. <laughs> Advil usually works. Like okay. three. Three is well, good. Well, considering <laughs> how, how uh, people of Pat Robinson's ilk don't want uh, probably don't want that woman to have health care. You know, I hope that there's some faith healing involved in mm-hmm. her life because she probably can't get Afford. any medication it's, to, to make it go away. It's almost limitless, mm-hmm. the, the good things that Pat Robert can, Robertson can smear. You know, I mm-hmm. pray. I believe in prayer. Mm-hmm. I believe 
and God, I believe, you know, in a lot of things that he believes in, mm-hmm. but the way he presents it and the way he twists it and perverts it is just limitless. Do you believe in a personal God? Do you know what, what that do you mean? Do you, a personal God. So, so, so a deist. I what? believe in a personal pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in a pan deep, or thin I, crust. <laughs> I believe in a deep dish God. <laughs> I believe in positive neg- positive energy. But that's that's my God. I believe in a flatbread Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a personal God. That's why I haven't had to hire a personal assistant. Okay, my yeah. personal so, God does all my errands. And how did you? For me. My belief how, is that is that prayer changes our energy because it humbles us. Oh, okay, but you don't put, so a personal God would mean a God who takes interest personally in your life, like, oh, Paul should get that promotion, or he really needs this thing, uh, whereas a deist believes that there is something controlling ever, or or a, a, a spiritual thing out there, but it doesn't really care about us individually. Yeah, I kind of more believe yeah. more believe that, and it's just kind of a universal law like gravity. Gravity, okay. it's an energy. Karma would be the closest thing to what I what I believe in. Oh, uh, or Carla would be pretty close yes. too. Yeah. <laughs> or I Carly. Yeah. Okay. Um, but my, my 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 point being that it's not that far off from what he believes in that mm-hmm. there's that there's something good mm-hmm. and loving out there but then he takes it down this horrible well, dark alley that I, just I think that you believe in prayer um, and spirituality, but I, I, I don't really believe that Pat Robertson does. I think Pat Robertson has cynically taken people's need for that and created a, a yeah. huge business for himself. If you listen to most of the stuff he says, this is not a, a, a to me at least, this is not a person who, who really truly believes. He just cynically makes money off of what other people believe. I could not agree with you more. I think it's obvious that all these guys, if you're a preacher on television, mm-hmm. you're pretty much full of it. Mm-hmm. You're uh, not even pretty much. You're all of it. I mean, even and you know that goes for anybody. You know the the bishops who you know when you are a religious person who seeks power, it's just yeah. the antithesis of spirituality the, yes, is seeking is. power it's and like authority. Paul just said humility is very important. And how how are, yes? How are any of these people like Pat Robertson humble? Uh, they're not. That would be the answer. Yeah. Uh, they'll say that they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we're going to get into that later in the show. How everybody, how all these Christians love to point the finger at other peoples who aren't Christian enough for them, or they're not right. the right kind of Christian. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus said, right? Judge, lest mm-hmm. lest uh, you uh, just get... judge, lest ye not get on a cable pundit show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> judge, lest people forget about you if you don't say crazy things yes. on Morning Joe. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, the GOP is getting downright biblical. As you heard earlier, that was Rick Santorum at a campaign stop in Mississippi. Now helping to spread the Santorum of anti-science hackery. In an interview with a Christian radio station, Senator James Inhofe, the ranking member of the Senate Environment Committee, quotes the Bible as his primary source of science data. My point is God's still up there. 
And this is the arrogance of people who think that we, human beings, would be able to change what he is doing in the climate is, to me, outrageous. Very interesting information from Reverend Inhofe. I mean, Senator Inhofe. Yeah, these are the people who decide environmental rules and regulations. But extreme weather is getting downright biblical. While Europe and Asia have experienced one of the worst winters on record, this winter was the fourth warmest in the U.S., according to the National Weather Service, with new warm winter record temperatures falling throughout the country. On Monday, Boston broke a new record high of 71 degrees, 30 degrees above average. The warm Winter is also leading to an early spring, including incredibly intense rain in Louisiana. Going into your house, I need to get you to, to safety. It's supposed to get worse. In Louisiana, hundreds of people had to be evacuated after a record 20 inches of rain caused flash flooding in some areas. But in Australia, thousands of people have been evacuated. It's now seeing its second year in a row of record biblical flooding. A full 30% of counties in New South Wales have been declared flood disaster areas. But the long-term winter trend is also not good in the U.S. A new study by the American Meteorological Society shows that on the Great Lakes, over the last 40 years, average ice cover has declined over 70%. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as five $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Concerned parents demand the removal of arsenic from the periodic table of elements. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. Citing the threat posed to their children's safety, a Grand Rapids area parents group is calling for the removal of arsenic from the periodic table. According to Tricia Sinclair, president of the Grand Rapids Parents Association, Our children, some as young as the fourth grade, are being exposed to this deadly element in their science classes. The group has raised over $4,500 for the creation of a replacement element, the child-safe Nickelodeon. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News, online at the... So show me what I'm looking for. Pat Robertson answers these questions from uh, his viewers all the time. Uh, in this case, they were worried about all the tornadoes in the country. Is it, you know, I would have asked the question, is it climate change? Is it leading to more extreme weather? Well, I will answer that question later in the program, but they didn't go in that direction. They asked, is it Yahweh? Is it God that is angry with us? I'm curious about Pat Robertson's reaction. Let's watch. Why did God send the tornadoes? Mm. Uh, 
God didn't send tornadoes. God set up no. a, a, a world in which certain currents uh, interfere and, and interact with other currents. When you have uh, a warm group of air coming out of the south, coming up against the cold masses up in the north, mm -hmm. you'll get vortexes, and that in turn will spawn tornadoes. Hmm. God doesn't send tornadoes to hurt people. He doesn't send, you know, we call them acts of God, but they're not. Uh, so uh, all I can say is that why do you build houses in a place where tornadoes are apt to happen? But, you know, the hurricane, for example, is a release mechanism that God set in to take the heat out of this world and to transfer heat around various parts of the globe. It's very necessary. The fact that people decide they want to build houses on the edge uh, uh, of an ocean, uh, it's their fault, it's not God's. You know, it's the same thing with if you're gonna build a house in the San Andreas Fault, you know there's gonna be a fault, you know the, the earth is faulted, and there's gonna be earthquakes. So. so. Don't, don't blame God for doing something foolish. <laughs> don't blame God for you being a jackass. Why'd you build a house there? By the way, the twisters hit the Midwest, the entire Midwest. What's the Midwest supposed to do? Are they supposed to move out of the Midwest entirely? And they go to the coast and then a hurricane hits and Pat Robertson calls him a jackass again. What'd you put your house on the coast for? Well, where am I supposed to hide, Pat? But look, he actually started out pretty good. He was talking about storefronts. I was like, hey, there's a little bit of fact in there, not bad, Pat. And it seemed like he was trying to stay away from God-centered because he's gotten in trouble before. Because he said Hurricane Katrina, because God was angry with us. 9-11, God's constantly angry with us. I'm like, hey, look, he's trying to avoid it, not bad, okay. And then he went to, it's God's release mechanism, and you had it coming. Okay, but it gets worse, let's watch. But I think the bigger question for people spiritually is always, not so much why did God send them, but why didn't he intervene you know you think people always ask that question well, when there's I mean, tragedy if enough people were praying he would intervene you you could pray god jesus still the storm you can still storms oh well <laughs> there goes the cold front and the warm front and all that well why didn't you just pray harder it's your fault for putting your house in the midwest and then on top of that you didn't even pray hard enough well obviously you had it coming what do you want me to do about it now now you're gonna go and turn around and blame god where were you when before the tornado was coming? Why didn't you still it, still it, Jesus? Still, God, God damn it, we didn't pray enough. You know what my question is? Yes. Why does God keep sending these natural disasters to the Bible Belt? I mean, why hasn't he, why hasn't he smote California with tornadoes and hurricanes and whatever? Why are the good people the ones that are taking the brunt of this? Yeah, that's the kind of question this lib would ask, okay? Uh, so, my question to you is, why has God put it in your spirit to hug all those trees? Well, God made the trees, too. If, if, I, I am oh, the yeah. Lorax. I speak for the trees, don't you know? Okay, If yes. I don't do it, who else is going to? Yeah, that's the kind of pagan this guy is. Like, I, you know, oh, I, I, I pray to the dirt and the grass and such. Okay, that's how this, this Lorax rolls. Uh, but the reality is, don't worry, we got ours coming. You know, uh, Pat Robertson is praying away that one day God's going to send an earthquake, wipe out San Francisco, Los Angeles, and all of us heathens. Yeah, okay. he, he was definitely right about the San Andreas Fault. But I bet if you showed on a map the areas of the country that don't believe in climate change the most, those are the ones that are getting hit the hardest right now. Actually, It's ironic. You, Lucas, since you find the, uh, a lot of these articles for the morning meeting, why, why don't you uh, fish one of those up? There's no way that Alternet or... 
or Think Progress hasn't already written that article. Okay, so put some uh, thought behind it. installment of oh my god okay well you know today in the oh my god uh, segment how many churches emphasize serving the poor as much as the bible itself uh, i'm gonna say not too many right instead it seems the loudest christians today have infected our culture with the idea that somehow capitalism no matter what the results equals holiness and in the results of capitalism, no matter how brutal, are always moral. They preach the gospel of commerce. And that when Jesus told us to serve our fellow man, he didn't mean volunteer at homeless shelters or directly help someone who was down and out. No, what Jesus meant was that we need to set up unregulated markets that concentrate wealth in the hands of a few and then let the help and aid trickle down to the widows and orphans. That's exactly what Jesus meant. Yeah, his problem with the, temp- with the money changers was that they were too regulated. He was a big advocate of supply-side Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> very much so, very much so. But the, enter Buddy Pilgrim, Bud Pilgrim. Who is he? Well, he's sick of all this be in service to your fellow man talk that people have been doing and lately. Buddy Pilgrim is unstuck in time. <laughs> <laughs> he's the, well, Buddy, but Buddy Pilgrim or Bud Pilgrim, he's the head of the Integrity Leadership, <clears throat> and called Integrity Leadership, mm. a nonprofit Christian ministry he founded in 1998 specifically to teach God's work for the workplace, God's word for the workplace. He teaches biblical principles of leadership, business management, and financial successes applicable to every Christian in the workplace. What he really does is give Christians an excuse to be greedy and not help the least among us. Here he is when he lets us know that important dates in our nation's history are being corrupted by do-gooders who who use those dates for a call for service to our fellow man. Think I'm kidding? September 11th has been turned into a national day of service instead of day to commemorate what happened. Even Yes, yes, which is a sneaky way of letting the Muslims off the hook. <laughs> we all know that. Okay, here we go. This past Martin Luther King's day was talked about as a day of service. Well, Martin Luther King didn't march on the mall for a day of service. He marched on equality, where people would be judged by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. Yes, and anybody who knows anything about Martin Luther King knew he was totally opposed to any kind of personal sacrifice. Yes, yes. He was totally against that. I mean, and all, you know, all this, all right, we, we'll keep going. And all this talk about service kind of sounds good on the surface, but it's really all about collectivism. And it's elevating volunteerism. There's nothing wrong with volunteerism. I believe in volunteering. But we've reached this point where we demonize people who go out and earn a living, and we elevate those who volunteer and don't do anything. And I would say this, Susan, is it really... Yeah, first of all, let me just say, all all this talk about service really is code for collectivism, and and that's how the left suckers you into caring about Mm. other people. Yes. Uh Uh-huh, see? And it's a slippery slope. First you start caring about other people, then you start helping them, and pretty soon you're making the world a better place. 
Um, where does it end? Exactly. How do you get from volunteerism to collectivism? He does it in one declarative sentence. So I guess that's all you have to do. Just say one thing and then say another thing, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know how this whole thing, you know how this whole going to college, you know what it's all about? Veganism. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Okay, so there's more to this guy. Ready? It gets better. He picks up. He's getting ahead of steam. Those who volunteer and don't do anything. And I would say this is, is it really more noble? What is more noble? To go out one Saturday a couple of times a year and work the food line at the homeless shelter? Or to risk your capital and to invest your <laughs> oh intellect and your labor and your hard work to start God. a business that will employ the person that is at the homeless oh shelter so that they can provide for themselves and their family with dignity? Thank God for businessmen. Oh Thank my God, God for businessmen. <laughs> You know, if everybody had the courage not to help the homeless, it would, wouldn't be so appealing to go hungry and sleep in the street. That's what he's saying. I don't remember if that's from the Old or the New Testament portion of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesus, uh, if, had he not been uh, executed by capital punishment, he, had he not been executed by capital punishment, he and the apostles were planning an IPO that they never got around to. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, if you, if you think back to the miracle of the loaves and fishes, what happened was Jesus was preaching, people got hungry. So what he did was he took a loaf and a fish from someone who had brought some, uh-huh. and then he opened a uh, fish and bread stand, <laughs> and then he, uh, you know, just charged the standard 33% markup so he could cover costs and, and just get a modest mm-hmm. profit. That's all he did. Right? Isn't that what he did? That's well, how you do it. And That's- also, don't forget his, uh, his seminar on wealth on the mount. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And don't forget the Good Samaritan, right? Mm-hmm. So when the, you know the story of the Good Samaritan, Jews and Samaritans are supposed to hate each other, and there was an injured uh, Jew on the you side. You mean of, Sumerians? Uh, no, Samaritans. Samaritan. Samaritan. Oh, okay. They were supposed to, and they're supposed to hate each other, and the, there was an injured Jew on the side of the road, and then the, the other Jewish people just went right past him, but the Samaritan stopped and helped. And what, in this guy's version of the Bible, what the Samaritan would have done was stopped, called some investors, opened up an ambulance <laughs> company. <laughs> and then maybe the ambulance company would have some charity workers mm. that would come and pick this guy up. Uh, That's how Jesus wants it to work, yeah. you idiots. I love the way he says we've we've elevated volunteers in this country. You know how we've elevated them. You know that volunteer show on the E Network. That's all like you know how we're celebrating volunteers all the time. Oh sure, it's and we need to stop. Yeah. And don't forget what Jesus said on the cross: "Forgive them; they know not how to invest." <laughs> exactly. You know what, what, what's more noble, Frank, to to volunteer twice a year at a homeless shelter or to start a business that's so successful it buys a homeless shelter and throws the homeless out of it? Right. <laughs> that's that. That's progress. You know. You know. What would be noble to start a business that helped a homeless person find a job. If one businessman anywhere, even once, ever gave a homeless person a job, mm-hmm. I might listen to what this guy has to say. Right, right. Hey, you know all the business owners who go, I'm going to start a business so I can hire all the homeless. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's tired of the jammed parking lot at the soup kitchen and tired of the empty parking lot at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is too many that's right you can't get into that homeless shelter to help out and you know not for nothing but uh just so this guy knows 
Very few entrepreneurs actually even risk their own capital, okay, you jackass? That's actually why we have the construct of a corporation, to protect personal assets from the risks of business. I'm just saying, so if you're going to extol the virtues of small business over, let's say, being a big brother to some poor orphan, then maybe you should understand the most basic mechanism of how small businesses work. That's all. I mean, maybe that's all you need to know. Right. Also, he doesn't like the fact that homeless shelters can't be sold as subprime mortgages. <laughs> you know, you know what's really bizarre about this guy is that he could have made the point that entrepreneurship is vital to our society without concocting this BS division in the American zeitgeist. It's like he just threw that part in to be a jerk. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It really, it's really, it's like, uh, you, I, do you think he does this with every thought he has in his head? Oh, I really like that paint color. You know who wouldn't like that color? The Iranian nuclear scientists. <laughs> they wouldn't like it. Yeah, I think everybody at this table agrees that capitalism is is good and necessary, and there's free market economy is mm -hmm. you know a good thing. Mm -hmm. But why why does it have to the false dichotomy between volunteering and starting right. a business? Like they're mutually exclusive. Like you can't. I can't. You know, I was going to help the poor god, but I was running Microsoft. You know how that works. <laughs> this, might, this might come back to the fact that Obama was a community organizer. And they're trying to make a connection uh, of that his secret plan is for socialism and community organizing uh, is the same thing as helping the homeless, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so now. Yeah, and also they've. Community organizing is one of their things that they present as this horrible thing. That it's, socialism. Yeah. Uh, yes. The other, the same the, thing. The other socialism. Christian principles that they uh, somehow have managed the, you to know, turn. Of Jesus Christ, the original community organizer. Hail Mary, full of grace. Your boy kicked me in the face. My wife called me a sinner I guess I'll be fixing my own dinner Now I'm left with pain and loathing Caused by a wolf in Messiah's clothing My wife dumped me for a guy named Jesus Now I see a cross and I fall to pieces And without further ado, again, I'll introduce Johan Hari, someone himself who recently has experienced the full might of what it is like to fall out with the press and the Twitter community. Johan. Thank you. I, uh, I don't normally read from a text, but... Um, because of my discovery of Valium in the past week, I don't really trust myself to speak freely, uh, except about the music of Lou Reed, which I think is not really that relevant. So, uh, I, I now understand why my mother was strangely calm all through my childhood. Um, I, was, I was asked here today to speak about the threat to free speech from religious fundamentalism, which I have some experience of myself, which is large and is growing, and I think reflects the wider need for free speech. But before I do... I think it would be remiss to not explain that I've had, I think, a valuable lesson for me in the past week about the value of free speech. As some of you will know, I did something wrong. Uh, I did something idiotic. And some people use their freedom of speech to point that out. And the real test of free speech is not do you support it when people are saying you're great. It's 
Do you support it when people are saying something painful and humiliating about you? And I absolutely do. And more than that, I've learned that it's when you're in the wrong that you need free speech the most. Because it's only if people are free to point out your mistakes and to do it aggressively and loudly and with laughter that you learn to get it right. And as much as it hurts, and it has really hurt, I feel more keenly the value of free speech today than I ever have. What I'd like to talk about now is a different parable about free speech, one in which I play a thankfully smaller role. Um, it's the speech I was asked here to give. Um, back, in, back in 2009, I wrote an article in which I warned that the right to criticise religion is being slowly doused in acid. All over the world, the small incremental gains made by secularism, which give us the space to doubt and question and make up our own minds, are being beaten back by belligerent demands that we respect religion. And I warned that a particular historical marker was being passed, which I think showed how far we were being shoved. The UN has a rapporteur whose job is to be the global guardian of free speech, and he was having his job rewritten to put him on the side of the religious censors. I'll just explain. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights stated 60 years ago that, these are the words, a world in which human beings shall enjoy freedom of speech and belief is the highest aspiration of the common people. It's a Magna Carta for mankind, and it's loathed by every human rights abuser out there everywhere. You know, today, the, the Chinese government calls it Western, Robert Mugabe calls it colonialist, and Dick Cheney calls it outdated. And the countries of the world <laughs> have... The countries of the world have failed to meet it serially, but that document is something that every dissident everywhere in the world can hold up and say, this is my right. I have this, you don't have the right to take this away from me. And then the UN was proposing to change that. What happened is, starting in 1999, a coalition of Islamic fundamentalist tyrants, despised by their own people, as we've seen this year, led by the disgusting tyrant of Saudi Arabia, demanded these rules be rewritten. The demand for everyone to be able to think and speak freely failed, they said, to respect the unique sensitivities of the religious. They said they should be replaced with something called an Islamic Declaration of Human Rights, which said that you can speak within, quote, the limits set by Sharia law. It is not permitted to spread falsehood or disseminate that which involves encouraging abomination or forsaking the Islamic community, end quote. So in other words, you can say what you want as long as the mullahs say you can say it. And it's a declaration that makes it clear there's no rights for women, there's no rights for gays, there's no rights for non-Muslims, there's no rights for so-called apostates who change their view. And it's really one of the interesting things about religious fundamentalists is it's like they have a trade union. The Vatican came in and said, yeah, we kind of agree with this. Um, so you had this, this, you had this coalition of fundamentalists. And incredibly, they were succeeding. The UN's <clears throat> rapporteur on human rights 
was tasked with exposing and shaming those who prevent free speech, including the religious. But the Pakistani delegate demanded and got a really positive response when he said that the job description should be changed to, so that the, this person's job should instead be to condemn, quote, abuses of free expression, including defamation of religion. Remember, this is in the wake of the Mohammed Cartoons affair, in which drawing a cartoon was declared to be a capital offence by many governments across the world. And the council agreed. So the job was being turned on its head. Instead of condemning the people who wanted to murder Salman Rushdie, the United Nations would be condemning Salman Rushdie himself. So anything that can be deemed religious was declared to be no longer the subject of discussion at the UN. A great man called Roy Brown, head of the International Humanist and Ethical Union, tried to bring up the topic of the stoning of women accused of adultery. And the Egyptian delegate stood up and he said, we will not have this discussion. Islam will not be crucified in this council and Brown was ordered to shut up. Of course, the first victims of locking down free speech about Islam are those women who are Muslim, who are going to be stoned. Those gay people who are Muslim, who are going to be stoned. And it was being done with the imprimatur of the United Nations. And those of us who support the UN and love the UN and hate the American right constantly demonizing it, we're the people who need to be most angry about that. And Underpinning these reforms is an argument that is seeping into our society as well, that atheism and doubt are akin to racism. Today, if you criticize a superstitious belief, people will tell you you are being prejudiced, that you are being bigoted. My only prejudice in this matter is in favor of individuals being able to choose to live their lives their way without intimidation. That means choosing religion or rejecting religion as they wish after hearing the open and disputatious argument about it. A religious idea is an idea someone had a long time ago they claimed to have received from God. That's it. It doesn't have a different status to other ideas. It is not surrounded by an electric wire fence called respect that none of us can cross. All people deserve respect, but not all ideas do. And in response to this, this change, what I wrote was, and this got a reaction I'll get to in a minute, if you want me to be honest, I don't respect the idea a man was born of a virgin, walked on water and rose from the dead. I don't respect the idea that we should follow a so-called prophet who, at the age of 50, 53, had sex with a nine-year-old girl and ordered the murder of whole villages of Jews because they wouldn't follow him. I don't respect the idea that the West Bank should be given to Jewish fundamentalists um, and the Palestinians should be bombed and bullied into surrendering it. I don't respect the idea that I might have lived before as a woodlouse and might live again as a goat. <laughs> you know, I don't. And if you ask me to say I respect that, you're asking me to con you. Now, after I made this case, Something kind of strange happened. An Indian newspaper called The Statesman, which is one of the oldest and most venerable newspapers in the country, thought the article accorded with the tradition of Indian secularism and they reprinted it. And just afterwards, 3,000 Islamic fundamentalists rioted outside their offices calling for me, the editor and the publisher, to be arrested or killed. Um, one of the believe me, it puts a Twitter hashtag in context. Um, <laughs> um, one of the rioters was quoted at the time saying, a guy called Abdus Subhan, he said, he was prepared to lay down his life if necessary to protect the honor of the prophet and that I should be sent to hell. Um, and two days later, the editor and the publisher were in fact arrested and they were charged in the world's largest democracy with a constitution that supposedly guarantees the right to free speech for upsetting community feeling. And I was told if I went to Calcutta, I would be arrested. And when it happened, you know, just like, it's hard to know how to react to these things. And I thought, what do you do if you're a defender of free speech in this position? 
I believe the right to criticize religion and follow the facts wherever they lead us is one of the most precious rights we can have. So the people who said to me, apologize, I thought, I, ca I can't do that. And it, it's worth just touching on the arguments put forward by the rioting fundamentalists, because we're going to keep hearing them in this century. Um, as secularism is assaulted again and again. They said I had upset the harmony of India, and it could only be restored by the silencing of these words. But it's a really interesting model of harmony that religious fundamentalists put forward. It means they're free to say whatever they want, and the rest of us have to shut up and agree. Well, that doesn't sound very harmonious to me. Now, the protesters said... <laughs> the protesters said that I deliberately set out to offend them. And I'm supposed to reply by saying, no, I didn't want to offend anyone, no offence was intended. But the reality is more complicated. Offending fundamentalists is not my goal. But if it's an inevitable side effect of opposing their ridiculous ideas, well, fine, so be it. You know, if fanatics who believe that women should be imprisoned in their homes and gay people should be killed are insulted by me arguing back, I don't resolve from it. Nothing worth saying is inoffensive to everyone. Nothing worth saying will fail to make you enemies. And nothing worth saying will not produce a confrontation. No one in this room has a right to be ring-fenced from offence. Every day I'm offended, not least by ancient religious texts filled with hate speech about people like me. Now, a lot more trivially, a lot of people have said a lot of offensive things about me in the past week, but I'm glad because I know the price of taking offence is that I can give offence, if that's where the facts lead me. It's, it's a two-way street. We can scream and shout at each other. What we can't do is try to stop the game and say, no, I can say what I want, you can't say what you want. And these events are also, I think, a reminder of why it's so important to try to let the oxygen of rationality into religious debates and introduce doubt. Voltaire, who was one of the great anti-clericalists, said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. If you can be made to believe the absurd notion that an invisible deity dictated an eternal unchanging truth to a specific person at a specific time in history, and he knows what kind of sex he wants you to have, what kind of ha he doesn't want you to eat a ham sandwich, you know, it, and anyone who disagrees is evil, you can easily be made to demand ludicrous things like the death of journalists and free women and gay people who question that truth. But if you introduce just a moment of doubt, if they know there's another argument, if there's a nagging question at the back of their minds, then they're more likely to hesitate. And that's why these ideas have to be challenged at their core using reason. Now, if after the discussion and all the facts about how contradictory and periodically vile their holy texts are, religious people still choose literal faith, I passionately defend their right to make their case. Free speech is for people who are wrong and people who are right. It's for hate-wielders being a, you know, a bigot about Muslims. It's for Muslims being a bigot about gay people. It's for all of us. Fine, make the argument. If you disagree, if you don't like what someone says, argue back. Make a better case. Persuade people. Get it right. Do it better. The best way to discredit a bad argument is to let people hear it. And just as a couple of final thoughts, you know, if I look around this room and I try to imagine what the lives of all of us here would be like if amazing people before us, people, you know, brave people had not pushed at the limits of what religious people said we could do and say. You know, the, the, the women, well, the women wouldn't be sitting among the men. If any of you women are menstruating, get out. You know, 
If anyone here has masturbated, I'm not looking at anyone, you'd be dead. If anyone here was gay, you'd be dead. If you committed adultery, you'd be dead. You know, we, it is precisely the mechanism of free speech. If I think about my grandmother's lives, both my grandmothers died recently. I think about the lives they led. You know, they both had to leave school when they were 14. They were clever women who had such frustrated lives where they were, you know, treated badly. You know, my one of them lived in the Swiss mountains, which is pretty rare, actually. Um, and, you know, it was because people were free to argue and say, don't treat women like that. You know, there was gay pride last Saturday. The, I, was, I spoke to someone a couple of years ago who said he was at one of the first gay prides in the early 60s in Trafalgar Square. 26 people turned up and they were all arrested and beaten by the police. And if you had stood in Trafalgar Square on that day and you had said, and you had told those 26 people, use your right to peacefully persuade people. You're not going to threaten anyone. You're not going to have any violence. And 60 years from now, they're going to shut down central London for this. And there will be hundreds of thousands of straight people there. And the people who think you're disgusting, they'll be the ones regarded as the freaks. And there'll be gay married couples, and there'll be members of the government who are gay. It would have seemed like the most ludicrous utopia. But it happened because of free speech, and because people could peacefully try and persuade each other, and because people fought for secularism. And you can see the value of that secularism if you compare my very minor experience in 2009 when I got these threats to that of journalists living under these religious fundamentalist regimes, because generations of British people fought to create a secular space. When I went to the police, they offered me total protection. When those people go to the police, they're handed over to the fanatics, or they're charged for their crimes, or the police are the ones who come for them. They're people like Syed Pervez Kambash, the young Afghan journalism student who was sentenced to death for downloading a report on women's rights. There are a thousand reasons why I am so proud to work for The Independent, but the biggest is that we campaigned for him and he did not get executed because of that. And this model of criticism and rational dispute needs to be applied to all forms of power, to politicians, to the religious, to corporations, and yes, to the journalists like me who give you speeches about the need to dispute everything. The more we're all monitoring each other and arguing about it freely and speaking our minds and exposing wrongdoing whenever it occurs, the more we'll all get it right. This is Dave from Olympia, Washington. Just finished listening to your media tyrant episode, and there was voicemail at the end from Rebecca from Salt Lake City looking into the uh, Mormon baptism for the dead issue. They're not trying to force dead people into Mormonism. They're giving their dead souls a chance to live with Jesus for the rest of eternity. So I, I actually think it's one of the most compassionate things that Mormons do, and I'm getting really, really tired of people hating on them for it. Because um, there's so many other reasons to hate the Mormon religion. As a former Salt Lake City resident myself, I was walking to work listening to the episode, and I think literally at the same time uh, as her voicemail was saying it, I was out loud. But there are so many other reasons to criticize Mormonism. So just to echo her thoughts and uh, give her kudos for expressing them so succinctly. 
Mormonism, like many other religions, has many troubling aspects. It has some very unique aspects, too, that aren't all bad. You know, seeing that brought out is uh, kind of nice sometimes. So, uh, again, thanks for the show. Hey, Jay, this is Andrew uh, down in Clearwater. Just wanted to comment, just listen to Rebecca, the former Mormon, commenting on getting tired of folks hating on Mormons for their baptism of the dead and calling it a compassionate act, and yet she thinks that we should hate on them because of their hatred for gays and their hatred for uh, their suppression of women. I don't know that she really understands that her rationalization that it is a compassionate act because that way the dead will be with Jesus without, you know, or won't be with Jesus without this baptism. Isn't that pretty much the same reason that they hate gays? Because they're not going to be with Jesus? Isn't that pretty much the rationale for any act by the hyper-religious? We're saving you from yourself. Thanks, Jay. Keep doing what you're doing. And as soon as I actually get regular income and regular uh, life, I'll be buying a you know, substantial membership. Because if God knows, <laughs> I'm believing like Soros. Take care. Okay, what's up? It's um, Skeptical Zach from out here in California. Um, with the whole uh, talk about, you know, oppressed minorities, I just wanted to add one more oppressed minority to your list that you always mention, if I could. And that is atheists and non-believers. If I could just share an anecdote about my uh, experience with this. When I first got with my wife, I was uh, running a group of skeptics and atheists, and it was the first group in my area of that kind, and uh, and I got it started, and I was really proud of it. And one night, uh, I was out with uh, my wife's family and friends, and one of her friends was asking me about this, and she's a real good family friend uh, of my wife's family. So I told her, you know, about myself. I told her I am in charge of this atheist and skeptic group. And she immediately said, stop right there. I don't want to hear anything more from you. Uh, you're immoral, basically. I can't remember her exact words. She walked away from me and walked over to uh, my wife's sister and told her that I'm in a, running a cult and that my wife needs to find somebody new. And not only that, she took the, that opportunity the next day to call my wife's family and tell them that I'm kind of immoral heathen and that I don't need to be in their family and all these kinds of things. And of course my wife's family likes me and you know they love me and so they told her basically you need to get with the program because that is not how we treat people in our family. I was really lucky that that's how they reacted and it could have been a lot different. I'm hoping that uh, atheists and non-believers will be the next um, group to come out of the closet not be afraid to say who they are. So thanks a lot, Jay. I love the show. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I want to talk for just a second about the last voicemail we heard from Zach talking about uh, being mistreated for being an atheist. And, and so I actually edited this voicemail. I edited the end of it so that it played the way I wish he had said it. Uh, but now I'm going to play what he actually said and then talk about it. So here it is. I was really lucky that that's how they reacted, and it could have been a lot different. And so I just wanted to add atheists and um, 
non-believers to your list of oppressed minorities. I'm hoping that we are uh, the next uh, group to get our rights. You know, the you know uh, gays had their opportunity to come out. You know, in the 70s and 60s. And, you know, of course, they're still struggling for their rights, and they will be for some time, but I'm hoping that uh, atheists and non-believers will be the next um, group to fight for their rights and come out of the closet and not be afraid to say who they are. So thanks a lot, Jay. I love the show. So to be clear, I, I really don't want to come across sounding like I'm picking on Zach, uh, especially because I know that he's coming from a good place. And in the end, I, I actually really believe that we don't even disagree. Uh, and, and that this is more of a semantic discussion. But uh, nonetheless, I think it's important to clarify the, the use of words and the importance uh, of the meanings behind those words. And so when when I edited his his voicemail originally, I took out the parts uh, about uh, you know making a direct comparison between atheism and you know either minorities or the gay rights movement or you know women and, and all, all of that all those really genuine civil rights movements where people had to fight for their rights, and I just found it really inappropriate to make that direct comparison with atheists. Because as much as, as, as atheists are despised by a, a disturbingly large portion of, uh, you know, of the population in America, we're not actually oppressed in, in that sense of the word. We're not uh, institutionally discriminated against. So like Zach with his story of his family, you know, the, the woman in question was – extremely closed-minded and really sort of unbearable in the way she acted and was just, you know, closed off to anything he had to say and then actually went out of her way to try to, you know, talk to his family and, and try to get them to sort of disown him. I mean, that's horrible, but it's not actually infringing on his rights. And people mistake the meaning of the word rights all the time and you usually hear it from right-wing tv or radio show hosts who inevitably say something horrific uh so much so that they get uh you know kicked off their station and then they say that their first amendment rights are being trampled on because they're not allowed to say what they want to say and that is not what the first amendment means it what it means is that the government will not prevent you from saying what you want to say. That's the, the theoretical meaning. <laughs> uh, Occupy Wall Street notwithstanding. But rights in that sense really only has to do with what the government does. And to the best of my knowledge, the government does not have any statutes in place that specifically discriminate against atheists. And therefore, it is my impression that atheists do not qualify as an oppressed group who need to fight for their rights. I think that using the word oppression, I think the, the word oppression itself can't, like the meaning behind that can be a little bit flexible. It can just mean that you're being treated badly. And, and so depending on context, I think that that is a debatable word that is probably okay uh, and, and not to be nitpicked. But when you start talking about fighting for rights, the comparison between atheists and all those who have had genuine civil rights struggles, I thought was uh, was really inappropriate, and and just like in my gut, I thought, oh god, oh no, <laughs> oh no, th this this voicemail has taken a wrong turn somewhere. So I wanted to clarify that, had that discussion, and you know, as, as I said near the beginning, 
my guess is that Zach actually agrees with with what I'm saying, and and this is more of a semantic clarification than a disagreement. And I would really give him the benefit of the doubt, saying he really probably did not mean to make a false equivalency between atheists and real civil rights struggles, and which you know, in, in a way that could very well have been uh, offensive. So those are my thoughts on that. I don't foresee this will uh, spawn a huge discussion about this, uh, but you know, if you have comments, uh, send them in and we'll see what happens. Uh, so that's it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Shane K signed up uh, for a leftist monthly membership back on March 30th of last year and has stuck with the show uh, all year since then. And then John F signed up for a yearly membership on April 1st of last year. Uh, he had his uh, membership canceled on accident, had to actively, uh, you know, manually sign back up, but actually, you know, took the time to do that. Uh, so huge thank, thanks to uh, John for, for signing back up. Uh, so to Shane and John, all of the members and all of the uh, individual donors who help keep the show going, uh, that is absolutely what this show survives on. So thanks to everyone who does that. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks, which can be done through the website itself. Stay tuned into the show between episodes on Facebook and Twitter, and you can even donate your Facebook and Twitter accounts to the show to help us spread the word of the show through you. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Thought now black and white, so took picture that wasn't right. Burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor